Okay, so text number 47, chapter 8 of the 12th canto. And in this, as we just heard in the previous chapters, the about the annihilation and how that all takes place, um, this is one of the rishis, Markandeya Rishi, who now wants to experience just what happens in the universe when it's annihilated. It's described very carefully that it fills up with water and inundates all the planets, cleanses them, kills everybody, and you know, all interesting things. So he thought, let me experience this. So he's offering prayers to the Lord to petition the Lord to please allow him to stay when the rest of the universe is annihilating. And this would have been a partial inundation, so to speak, because at the end of Brahma's life, the, all the universes get um, re-entered into the body of Mahavishnu as he inhales. And then they get exhaled back out and everything starts over again. So in this one, it's just a inside the universe kind of annihilation. So that would be called a partial annihilation. Okay. Please repeat. Tasmai namo bhagavate purushabhumme. Vishaya vishva gurave paradait vataya. Oops. Oh, good. This is today's verse. Uh-oh. Narayana Rishayacha Narutamaya Hangsaya Samyata Gireni Gamaheshvara Tasmai namo bhagavate purushaya bhumne Vishnaya vishtra gurave paradaivataya Narayana rishayecha narutamaya Hamsaya samyatagade nigame shavhaya. Word for word. Tasmai. To him. Namaha. My obeisances. Bhagavate. To the Godhead. To the Godhead. Purushaya, the Supreme Person. Bhumne, the All-Pervading One. Vishvaya, the All-Inclusive. The All-Inclusive. Manifestation of the Universe. Vishvagorave, the spiritual master of the universe. 
Paradaivattaya. The supremely worshipable deity. Narayana. To Lord Narayana. Rishaya. The sage. Cha. Cha. And. Nara Uttamaya. To the best of human beings. Hangshaya. Situated in perfect purity. Samyata Gire. Who has controlled his speech. Nigamaishvara. The master of the scriptures. Sorry. The master of the Vedic scriptures. And we'll read through text 49 because two reasons. One, that's a purport on verse number 49. And it's also the end of the chapter. I offer my humble obeisances to him, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is the all-pervading and all-inclusive form of the universe, as well as its spiritual master. I bow down to Lord Narayana, the supremely worshipful deity appearing as a sage, and also to the saintly Nara, the best of human beings, who is fixed in perfect goodness fully in control of his speech and the propagator of the Vedic literatures. Text 48. A materialist, his intelligence pervaded, perverted sorry, by the action of his deceptive senses cannot recognize you at all, although you are always present within his own senses and heart and also among the objects of his perception. Yet, even though one's understanding has been covered by your illusory potency, if one obtains Vedic knowledge from you, the supreme spiritual master of all, he can directly understand you. This topic comes up a lot in the Bhagavad Gita and also here in the Bhagavatam. Beautiful verse, but I'll go to the translation. Text 49. My dear Lord, the Vedic literatures alone reveal confidential knowledge of your supreme personality. And thus, even such great scholars as Lord Brahma himself are bewildered in their attempt to understand you through empirical methods. Each philosopher understands you according to his particular speculative conclusions. I worship that supreme person, knowledge of whom is hidden by the bodily designations covering the conditioned soul's spiritual identity. Let's all say that together. This is a really cool verse. My dear Lord, the Vedic literatures alone reveal confidential knowledge of your supreme personality. 
And thus, even such great scholars as Lord Brahma himself are bewildered in their attempt to understand you through empirical methods. Right, we heard Lord Brahma went to search out the source of the lotus flower and he heard the syllables ta-pa. And he thought, oh, I'll try that. Went back up to the top of the lotus and began to meditate. It's a process. Science is empirical because there's a process. Do this, 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 you get a particular result. Right? So this is empirical. It's not a bad thing, it's just mechanical. One thing leads to the other. Each philosopher understands you according to his particular here's a good one speculative conclusions. I worship that supreme person knowledge of whom is hidden by the bodily designations covering the conditioned souls and that's a possessive souls, apostrophe S, spiritual identity. Purport by the great disciples of Srila Prabhupada who carried on his most important work. Even great demigods like Brahma are bewildered in their speculative attempts to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Each philosopher is covered by a unique combination of the modes of nature and thus describes the supreme truth according to his own material conditioning. Therefore, even strenuous empirical endeavor will never bring one to the conclusion of all knowledge, Vedanta. The highest knowledge is Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead, And one can understand him only by fully surrendering to him and serving him with love. That is why Markandeya Rishi states here, Vande Mahaparusham. I simply worship that supreme personality. Those who try to worship God, but at the same time continue speculating or acting fruitively, sound like anybody we know? Point inward. You'll find out who we're mentioning here. Hmm. We'll obtain only mixed and bewildering results. To be pure, a devotee must give up all fruitive activity and mental speculation. In that way, his loving service to the Lord will yield perfect knowledge of the Supreme. Only this perfection can satisfy the eternal soul. Thus in the purports of the humble servants of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, to the 12th canto, 8th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Markandeya's Prayers to Nara Narayana Rishi. Wow. 
Namaste, Sarashati Deve Gauravani Vachanane Nirvisesha Sonyavati Paskata Desatarane. What a conclusion to a set of prayers. Here Markandeya Rishi is begging the Lord to be merciful to him, to illuminate his heart. And he's commenting that we can't do it with our speculative methods or with any method at all. And Brahma also admitted this when he stole the cowherd boys and brought them back. <clears throat> he's very embarrassed that I blew it again because he's done this before, not recognized Krishna or not understood Krishna or not understood the process of understanding Krishna. And he has four heads with four brains and is infinitely more intelligent than anyone else in the universe, in fact, to become Brahma in a universe, one has to be a perfectly, properly situated jiva, where he's done it all correctly, right? His whole lifetime after, this is where we get, gradually we'll get perfection in Krishna consciousness if we just continue the process of sadhana bhakti. Well, this is where it gets you. Only two the opportunity to obtain Krishna. Because what did Brahma say when he, when he was apologizing to Krishna? You know, I really didn't mean to cause you any trouble by taking all your coward friends and your calves. But I just didn't recognize you. And how do you expect me to recognize you? When I was meditating at the beginning of the universe, I was meditating on you within my heart and instead of appearing in my heart, you appeared outside and said, Wow, thank you, Brahma. Well done. And shook my hand and, and played on your flute and gave me the Gayatri mantra. And I mean, how am I supposed to know you? You are not to be known except through your own revelation. You have to reveal you, yourself, to your bhakta. Now, we were just talking about this earlier, too. Um, in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, there's a chapter called Answers by Citing the Lord's Version. And the second canto is preliminary to describing Krishna by first establishing Krishna's um, ever-presence within the entire universe. So, after Krishna appears to him and tells him, well done... Gayatri Mantra, and you know, Om Bhura Bhava Svatatsavitu, you know, like this, all these things to him. And he thanks him. 
Then Brahma says, I understand in my heart that your service in devotional service, bhakti, to you is that I create within this universe. Now please, you personally instruct me as to how I should conduct myself to carry out this very important and big service to you the way you want it done. And he's talking to Narda Muni and explaining to Narda Muni, this is what Krishna told me. Now it's funny to note, he did not appear to Brahma as Narayan. He did not appear to Brahma as Karandakshai Vishnu or Shirdakshai Vishnu, right? Who were sitting right there in the universe already. He appeared as Krishna. Govinda Maripurusham Tamaham Vajami. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord. Right? The first. Svayam Bhagavan Krishna, the original personality of Godhead, of whom everyone else is expanding from including all the Vishnus, all the Namsas, Vivi Namsas, and Tattvas, and Juga Avatar, all of these things are appearing from that original Krishna. The Brahma Samhita also describes, this is similar to lighting a candle, and with that candle lighting many other candles, but there was still an original candle, even though all the candles are the same, same brightness and etc., Right? But there's still one that started it all. Not only that, there's one Krishna that lit that candle and then, yeah, like that. So we can only understand that when Krishna reveals himself like that. It's not going to happen just through the process of sadhana bhakti. Because what does Krishna say in the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita about sadhana bhakti? Scholars? Present scholars. He says, if you cannot surrender to me fully, this is the ninth verse of the twelfth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, then follow the regulative principles of Bhakti Yoga and thus attain a desire to have me. This whole sadhana process is only going to bring you to an opportunity to surrender to Krishna. Because no one gets to Krishna unless Krishna gets to them. Krishna has to give himself to the bhakta. Bhaktivatsal. He gives himself to the devotee. Therefore, he's not going to do that to just anyone because they believe in Krishna. Or, I am a Krishna Bhakta. Or, whatever. Because it says right here, we're not going to get there in mixed service. 
My dear Lord, the Vedic literatures alone reveal confidential knowledge of your Supreme Personality. So it is revealed in the Vedas, knowledge of Krishna's Supreme Personality. And even though, and thus, even such great scholars as Lord Brahma himself are bewildered in their attempt to understand you through empirical methods. Narada Muni, in the first canto of the Bhagavatam, right? He gets the mercy of the great Bhaktivedanta. Prabhupada in the second chapter describes him as one of those lucky devotees who somehow got the mercy of the Bhaktivedantas. And therefore, at five years old, when his mother inexplicably departs from this world, he just heads to the north, following in the Bhaktivedanta's footprints. And at a certain point, he decides, now I shall meditate on the Supreme Lord. He's a five-year-old boy. He's not putting a whole lot of thought into this, but he's really tired, and now he's going to meditate, try to get something out of this thing. Right? Big trek to the north. So he sits down to meditate and Krishna appears before him as Sri Narayana and blesses him. And he broke from that trance and he was in ecstasy. So he immediately put himself back into that trance. Now I know how to see the Supreme Personality of Godhead. I simply have to sit down like this, meditate like this, hold my hands like that, and Krishna will be, will appear to me just like that. It's a process. I love this. Except that it didn't happen the second time. The first time he said they, he was thinking, the Bhaktivedanta simply told me to meditate and I'll obtain all perfection. So he did. He just meditated. Now he knows what perfection is. He wants it again. That feeling of being in the presence of the Lord. And he did this for a really long time. And finally he heard a voice in the sky. Um, my dear boy, it's not going to happen in this life. You can't just mechanically approach me. I don't appear because you did everything right. I appear only when you're giving your heart fully, without any consideration. Bear in mind, he's five years old, so he, he got it once, he figured, oh, that's how you do it, right? Yeah. So Krishna, by a voice in the sky, explained to him it's not going to happen, therefore go through the rest of this life hoping that I will again come to you. So he does. That's what's being explained here. Twelfth canto of the Bhagavatam. Right? It's explaining. This is what it takes to get to me. And in the previous verse, it says, the reason for this is that because we have a material body... And ever how detached from that body we become, we're still covered with these imperfect senses. And therefore, even then, we cannot use them to see Krishna. We have to elevate ourselves to our spiritual existence as the soul, and then we can see Krishna. Even on the battlefield, Krishna told Arjuna, Behold my universal form! And Arjuna looked and 
didn't see anything. I said, Krishna, I don't see anything. And then Krishna goes, oh, let me give you divine eyes, give you a chakshu, give you divine, divine vision, then you will see. Clever, huh? He didn't just show him. He said, look, see my universal form. But because he did not present to Arjuna the ability to see that universal form, even though he's seeing Krishna in his original form, right there in front of him, he can't see this universal form because Krishna did not empower him to see that universal form. So then he gave him the vision and he went, wow, this is a mistake. Became completely bewildered. He became afraid of what Krishna was doing in this universal Virat Rupa form. He said, Krishna, can I have you back? So he appeared to him as Narayan, four-armed. Crown, a mace and a lotus and a conch shell. And what else? I'm sure my big audience here is all paying attention. Chakra. I said the other three things. Just checking. I'm sure everybody's attentive. There are a lot of people here, a lot of confusion. Here in the temple room today. Many, many people absorbing their brains in Krishna. In the presence of Krishna. So, you're going to hear all that happening around you. So, we have to be given the capacity to be with Krishna, to see Krishna, to understand Krishna. We can't mechanically, mechanically force Krishna to appear. And Prabhupada uses that example all the time when he talks about Preaching to scientists and atheists, right? Show me Krishna. You gonna, if I showed you Krishna, you're going to believe it? No. Why should I show him to you? Why should Krishna appear to you? You don't even believe he exists. Even if he did exist. And even that argument doesn't work with the scientists. And we were in Vrindavan sitting on the steps of Prabhupada Samadhi and one nice brahmachari, Madan Mohan, was trying to preach to the scientist next to me. And I was just, my head was swimming, you know, listening to this this poor brahmachari, very nice, using all Prabhupada's examples, all the different things, and this guy just will not submit. Hey, kids, poses this, and poses that, and poses this, and poses that. I keep talking, he'll never get out of here. <laughs> right? And then finally, I had enough. Because this guy is not. He's a professor, scientist. So he's all educated. He's much older. And this young 20-year-old brahmachari is just, just banging him into the corner. And he, yeah, the guy's not going to submit no matter what. So finally, I said, all right, I'm done. I can't listen to this anymore. And I looked at the scientist and I said, I want you to prove to me that I'm alive. So I can see your life. Oh, and we can see Krishna, but you don't believe it. So why should I believe you're alive or that you believe I'm alive just because you said it? Where's the proof? Prove it to me scientifically with empirical evidence that I am alive right here in front of you. 
He couldn't do it. What he's asking us to produce and prove, he can't even do it to a human body that's sitting there in front of him talking to him. I, I wasn't talking very nicely to him, but I was talking to him. He can't do it. The soul is not any more identifiable to the living entity than Krishna is without one being sufficiently purified. Right? What is that verse in the Bhagavad Gita that describes that part? Vinashinaya Sarinam, no, not that one. Let the sage seize the soul within people, cows, dogs, dog eaters, and he sees them equally. Because if the only difference between every soul one can see due to his divine capacity just has a different body, then you're still dealing with the same soul. It's not that we have different kinds of souls. This dog has a dog's soul. This dog eater has a dog eater's soul. Like, what's a dog eater's soul? Now, how are you going to figure all that out? Same soul, which, what does Krishna say? Is placed within a body with a particular set of senses that the soul can push that body to enjoy or suffer because those senses are grouped around the mind. So you get a particular set of senses which are grouped around a mind and you have a body that corresponds to how to carry that particular mind around to engage the senses in their acts of pleasure. And, according to Krishna, again, uh, when Indra became cursed to become a pig, he had his little piggy wife and his ten little piglets. Pigs give birth to a lot of piglets at one time. And he's perfectly happy eating garbage and lying around in the mud, even though he's the king of heaven. Brahma came down and said, Indra, your curse is over. It's time to go back. Oh, but I'm so happy here. I don't have to do anything. Not to think anything. I got my little piggy wife. Anytime I get agitated and we can have so many little piglets, look, I produced ten of them this time. I'm happy. Why would I want to go do something else? But Indra, you're the king of heaven. You have to manage the universe. You have to enjoy unlimitedly the opulences of this material energy. No, it's okay. I like being a pig. It's really nice here in the mud. It's cool and comfortable. It molds to my body. I'm so happy here. And this is the same soul that was Indra. But because it was placed into the body of a pig, it thinks like a pig. And its happiness is whatever makes a pig happy. Right? And we think, but... There it is. We're in a material body, a human being, and we're thinking, well, let's see, what's today? It's Wednesday, 8.20. I just, uh, nine more minutes here at the temple, the prasadam will come out, and I get my free breakfast, all offered to Krishna, very purifying. I'm not saying anything negative about this. Please, everybody here. 
and then I'll go back home or I'll go to work or I'll go do this and I'll go to that. And if I'm really lucky, maybe I can swing by here in the evening and see the deity and I'll just fill my whole day up with a little bit of Krishna consciousness and a whole lot of material energy. Right? I mean, how long does your Krishna conscious vision of Radhakala Chandri last in the when you're going north on I-35 about this time of day, how long do you continue just thinking how beautiful Krishna was or do you start looking at how stupid the drivers seem to be? Right? Krishna consciousness requires us to give up material consciousness. We don't give up our consciousness. We purify it by only thinking of Krishna. By only serving Krishna. And we say that if you only serve Krishna, you'll get by in life. You'll disappoint your parents, I can assure you, up to a point. Gradually they say, wow, this is really great. I can't believe my son or daughter became a, a religious person. I never would have expected that. It was a big shock for my parents. <laughs> I became a spiritualist instead of a criminal. They were shocked. Yeah. I mean, I actually went to college to learn how to be a white-collar criminal because they don't go to prison like the rest of us. And they seem to be able to steal a lot more money in one shot than everybody else out there. Seemed like a really good idea to get an education for. To me. <laughs> don't follow my example, Sakshi. <laughs> but that's what I was doing in college thinking how I can use this education to make more money illegally. Because that's where the money is. Right? Now, is that prevalent? Yes, of course. What's the markup of an iPhone? Anybody know? The difference between what they sell it as and what they make it for. Okay? Now, how many... Okay, here's another question, simpler one. You know? How many iPhones are sold every year? Huh? How many iPhones are sold every year? Millions, yeah. So 35% markup. So 35% markup at a, for a, say, let's say a $700 phone. Right? And how much is 35% of 700? Enough. Couple of hundred bucks, right? More or less? Close to that? No, I don't need exact. So, a couple of hundred bucks times millions is how much money? And why can't he mark it up five dollars? Because he can't. He just can't do it. They just can't do it. They can't give you an iPhone for only five dollars each, even though they'll make gazillions of dollars off of that. At that price, because they'd rather make, you know, 30 times those gazillions of dollars off that same bunch of phones they're going to sell every year. The material world is a place of demonic control. The whole chapter. How much more prevalent is, is the materialist? Krishna sums up the entire divine qualities in two verses. 
And he spends the whole rest of the chapter describing the demonic characteristics. And then tells Arjuna, and don't worry, you're not a demon, you're a devotee. You have the good qualities. But it took him an entire, it takes the rest of the chapter just to describe how bad this material world is. And yet we still think, well, if I just go out there and work for a living and so make this much money, I'll be happy. And then I'll, with all that happiness bubbling over in my consciousness from being at work all day to day, I'll just go to the temple and share my love and happiness with Krishna. <laughs> yeah, how often does that happen? It's not that we're not stuck in this material world and that we have to work with what we have to work with. It is true. We have to do that. Therefore, we diligently have to dovetail our life in Krishna consciousness or we will miss the boat. You'll get so caught up, you won't be able to bring yourself back. Krishna himself also says, you know, one has to do some kind of work to maintain himself. So that's there. I mean, it's not that we're telling everybody stop everything. But, you know, if you really want Krishna... If you really trust Krishna, why would you not just surrender to Krishna? He says it so many times in Bhagavad Gita. Surrender to me. Surrender to me. Surrender to me. Put all your thoughts in me. All your actions in me. Please, do everything for me. And I will take care of you, just like I take care of the entire material world. The planets move around all the time, constantly moving. And they're so exact that we set our clocks by them. Planets. Just racing through the, the sky. And they're so regulated by the movements established by the Supreme Lord that we set our clocks by them. It's so regular that the two main time systems of the universe are the phases of the moon and its eclipses and the phases and eclipses of the moons of Jupiter, both of which can be observed. And they're so consistent, you just have to do a little logarithm to it to account for wobbles in space and a few other things like that. But you can accurately calculate time by paying attention to what the moons of Jupiter are doing. Not even our moon. But the earth moves a little bit this way and that way laterally. So you have to adjust for where the moon is relative to the earth having moved a little bit. It is a perfect system that maintains us. And it is placed there by Krishna. So, do we really want we surrender to Krishna and are we really willing to just depend on him with faith? One devotee got in a big, or his daughter got in a big car accident recently. And, and I just wrote him and he says, it's difficult and I'm so sorry your family's going to this, but you have to trust Krishna. We don't have to understand that this is a good thing or a bad thing or the right thing or the wrong thing. We simply have to understand that it is Krishna's thing and therefore it is the most correct 
thing we can ever do. Arjuna is being basically forced philosophically to kill his entire family. And he says, why would I want to enjoy the spoils of this war when everyone I would seek to enjoy it with, I have to kill? He sees him very clearly. And he sees that engaging in this warfare will be the end of happiness. Because he won't have the people he wants to share it with. To share it with them. It's a real paradox based on our conceptions of happiness that we think is going to make us happy. But what Krishna is teaching us is that you do as I have asked and you'll be happy. Because we'll give up this body. And Arjuna doesn't just have any body, but he has a body. Because Krishna says, in answer to Arjuna's inquiry, how can you have instructed this knowledge to the sun god when we're kind of the same age, Arjuna and Krishna? And Krishna answers, many, many lives both you and I have gone through. The difference is, I'm God, and I get to remember all of those times. You are not a human, and therefore you don't remember them. I remember them. And you were there with me each time, and I still remember them, and you don't. So we have this life to do something with it. So go ahead, do it. If you want. Because even Krishna didn't force Arjuna. He said, okay, I spoke all this and I told you everything. Deliberate on it fully and do what you're going to do. He didn't say, and if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you first. He just said, do what you're going to do. I'm still going to drive your chariot and we're going we're gonna to get through this. It's still up to us to make that choice. And we make that choice in faith and love. And then we get to have Krishna. And if you have Krishna, you have God, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Supreme Spiritual Master of the Universe, to give you direction, to give you your sustenance, to give you everything you could possibly need to always remember Him. It sounds like a decent enough deal to me, more than you're going to get from anybody else out there in the material world. Any questions? Yes, Dr. Stephen. Brave soul that you are, or stupid, we'll see. Huh? Oh. Well, we did three verses, 47 through 49. Okay. Come on, Paige. There we go. Oh, Lord, I'll leave the verse before that, too. This is yesterday's verse. Oh, Lord, because fearlessness, spiritual happiness, and the kingdom of God are all achieved through the mode of pure goodness, your devotees consider this mode, but never passion and ignorance, to be a direct manifestation of you. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, intelligent persons, thus worship your beloved transcendental form composed of pure goodness, along with the spiritual forms of your pure devotees. I offer my humble obeisance unto him, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, 
He is the all-pervading and all-inclusive form of the universe, as well as its spiritual master. I bow down to Lord Narayana, the supreme worshipable deity appearing as a sage, and also to the saintly Nara, the best of human beings, who is fixed in perfect goodness, fully in control of his speech, and the propagator of the Vedic literatures. A materialist, his intelligence perverted by the action of his deceptive senses, cannot recognize you at all, although you were always present within his own senses and heart, and also among the objects of his perception, i.e., Krishna is everything. <clears throat> Yet, even though one's understanding has been covered by your illusory potency, if one obtains Vedic knowledge from you, the supreme, person, supreme spiritual master of all, he can directly understand you. 49. My dear Lord, the Vedic literatures alone reveal confidential knowledge of your supreme personality. And thus even such great scholars as Lord Brahma himself were bewildered in their attempt to understand you through empirical methods. Each philosopher understands you according to his particular speculative conclusions. I worship that supreme person, knowledge of whom is hidden by the bodily designations covering the conditioned soul's spiritual identity. So in this we can understand it is our fault we don't recognize Krishna. Dang! We can't even blame the supreme controller Krishna for that. It's our fault that we're in this body and therefore our senses are covered by our material desires and therefore we don't see Krishna. But we can. You have a question on that or you just wanted to contact? All right. Andarashiman Bhagavatam Kijay. Tomorrow we start the new chapter of chapter 9. Markandeya Rishi sees the illusory potency of the Lord. And he's going to actually kind of regret it that he asked this of the Lord. And when you, you're in the presence of the Lord, you can ask anything. And he wants, well, I just want to see the whole dissolution. <laughs> Good idea. Something you're not going to see every day. But uh, we'll, we'll see how he reacts to his, his choice. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming and listening. Thank you, everyone out there, for bearing with us. And... Uh, with all the technical obstacles we have every day for hearing and absorbing the Sriman Bhagavatam. <laughs>